Hello there and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. This is episode 206. I am Laura Camacho, your host, and you're listening to the podcast that's ranked number three in the world. We were kicked back to number four for a few weeks, but we are back at number three in the world. So thank you all who have made that possible. Appreciate that. And as you know, this is all about helping people to communicate better at work so that they make more money for their time in the job, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we want our time at work to count as much as it can. And podcast reviews help this podcast help other people find it. And we just got a wonderful review I'm going to read to you. It's called A Perfect Podcast. And it's from The Cheerful Baker, who I believe has started her own podcast. The Cheerful Baker is also on Instagram. She says, this is one of my favorite podcasts. Laura's audience is filled primarily with high-performing introverts who want to improve their communication skills. As a very strong extrovert with good communication skills, I can tell you that I learn valuable information with each and every episode. I highly recommend this podcast if you want to improve your communication skills. We can all do that. So thank you so much, Cheerful Baker. And I hope this inspires you to leave your own review. It's a way of leaving your mark in the world. It's a good karma. Your effort to help this podcast will come back to you. That's an investment. And if you're new to this world, new to the Speak Up world, I welcome you. And you're wondering, where am I? What is this all about? And it's about learning the unwritten rules, the things that nobody tells you, even if you get your MBA from freaking Harvard University, there are a lot of things that people don't tell you. And if you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth, if your dad was president of GM in his day, or your mom was the first, you know, senior vice president of Citibank, you also got these things. But if you're not from that kind of background, there's a lot of unwritten things going on in the background at any company. The larger the corporation, the more these things matter. And on the outside, it says communication skills. But secretly, we're teaching you how to work the system because other people know how to work the system. And they're the ones that are maybe having more success than you. And of course, skill and delivering great results, well, that's table stakes. That gets your foot in the door. That gets you off and running, but it doesn't take you to the finish line. So it's about selling your point of view. And that's what this podcast is about. Yes, most people who listen to this are introverts. As our cheerful baker mentioned, you don't have to be an introvert to benefit from all the life-changing wisdom that is imparted in this conversation. This is a family-friendly There are no F-bombs. My mom always said that people who use profanity lack imagination. (laughs) And of course, I remember this was back when I first moved to Caracas, Venezuela in my 20s. And I was on a bus with this guy from New York City who was living in Caracas. He was a graduate of Columbia's School of Journalism. And he was having like a residency or internship with the local business newspaper And every other word he said was an F-bomb. And I just remember mouth open, like I had never heard anybody talk like that before. I mean, that was shocking to me. That was a long time ago. That was in the 90s. And, you know, today F-bombs are considered, um, you know, showing that you're fearless and bold. 
And, uh, you know, a lot of times if you find a more creative way to express yourself, you're going to get better results. And I'm going to give you one example. And by the way, I am bringing on a guest, Tammy Alvarez, who's going to actually talk about rule breaking. But I wanted to get you started thinking about creative use of language as a tool in your toolbox for your career goals. So I don't listen to this podcast, but my husband does. It's a financial guy. His name is Peter Schiff. And I believe he used to be with the Fed. I'm not sure, but he has a financial economics podcast called the Peter Schiff Show. (laughs) And listen to this headline. Fed money magicians running out of rabbits. Episode 917, if you're interested. So the guy is clearly imaginative and creative. What is he saying? He's saying that... He doesn't trust the Fed and their policies on macroeconomics. And this is not an economics podcast. I did major in economics. I don't know what the Fed is doing. And I don't know if it's good or bad. I'm kind of suspicious because I'm suspicious by nature of people that have power for a long time. But what a great analogy you can use. I'm running out of rabbits. Hey, as your software engineering magician, I'm running out of rabbits. And what does that mean? It means that you're running out of tricks, that you need help. Maybe you need to hire someone and they've been saying no. Maybe you need more budget for overtime for your people. So you can say, instead of saying, again, I need more of this, you say, you know what? This accounting audit magician here, I'm running out of rabbits. I'm running out. And that and that just is more interesting for the brain, right? To say the Fed money magicians running out of rabbits That is more interesting than just saying, I'm running out of tricks, I'm running out of resources, I need something. So when you find a more interesting way of saying something, you increase your chances of getting what it is you need, and that's going to make you more successful. Now, today's guest, coincidentally, also comes from the financial sector. She was a leader at Bank of America, and she worked at AIG. She worked in operations and strategy. And now she is a coach and she has a break the rules approach to thing, which we're going to find out which rules can we break and how can we break those rules to our own advantage. She has a website and a program called Career Winners Circle, where she helps people amplify their potential and have more success. So we're going to talk to Tammy Alvarez and I'm going to ask her, you know, what are the rules we need to break? What are some ways we can speak up more effectively in meetings when we're a little bit intimidated? I'm going to ask her about internal networking, personal branding, executive presence, and, you know, we'll cover some other topics, but those are the questions that I have highlighted for you. And before I bring Tammy on, let me remind you that this episode is brought to you by the Practical Guide to Effective Communication. Get recognized for the value you already contribute. That is the book written by yours truly. It's actually 12 books in one. It's got a chapter on every topic you need to know. Trust is rocket fuel, different communication styles. It's got an assessment that you can take your assessment and find out what your basic orientation is. It's got a chapter on mindset. It's got a chapter on emotional intelligence, feedback, challenging conversations, and if you think that you don't need it, fine, but get it for your team. 
several of my clients have bought a copy for every member of their team and they have a little discussion about some of the chapters to help bring out some of the issues that are under the surface. So the Practical Guide to Effective Communication, you can get a paperback or digital copy on Amazon by Laura Camacho. And without further ado, I'm going to bring on Tammy Alberts. All right, Tammy, so welcome to the show. I just found out, folks, that Tammy is joining us from Mexico City, this uh, <laughs> this little village of, what, 30 million people? Like, what possessed you to move to Mexico City, Tammy? Tell us your story. You know, Lori, there's so much, and thank you for having me. So there's just so much to the story. So I was an executive on Wall Street for decades. So I'm a New Yorker and lived in Manhattan and loved it. And I became a renowned transformation expert during my time in corporate because I loved change, drama, intrigue. When the buildings were burning, my team was running in, right? (laughs) Everyone else was running out. And it just really fed my sense of purpose for decades until it didn't. So I remember sitting in the boardroom after an earnings call and we missed earnings. We had just gotten our clocks cleaned and everyone was like just it was just drama central. And I just remember sitting there for the first time and just not caring. I was like, I just, I'm so over this. So very shortly after that, I decided this career that served me for decades no longer did. So I cashed out, moved to a tropical island in Central America off the coast of Belize and started this coaching business about six years ago. It was the biggest reset I think I've ever had in my entire life in terms of learning and really stepping into my purpose. And so we've been there for five years, love the island life. We're big scuba divers. So we would do scuba diving before work, you know, a couple of times a week. So yeah, I mean, it's just paradise, but I'm a city girl. So I really, really missed urban life and the culture and the arts and the vibe and all that stuff. So we did some country shopping last year and looked at a variety of different countries that we might want to live in. And Mexico City was the winner. So we are now in Mexico City on a full-time basis for the foreseeable future. That is awesome. Well, I know a lot of just extremely cool people who live in your city. So Tammy, I have so many questions I want to ask you, but when you mentioned earnings calls, that just rang a bell because I've talked to so many amazing executives who they almost need depends before an earnings call. Oh, it's brutal. The cage match is real. Yeah. So I, oh, tell us a little bit about that. And to me, as never having worked in a public company, it seems weird to me that it would be so punishing. Like if you're doing well, that should be good. And you should be able to explain that even if your numbers, how can you accurately predict quarter to quarter to quarter to quarter every single time exactly what you're going to make? But I know that some people listening either deal with earnings calls or it's in their short-term future. Do you have any tips for that? Yeah, I mean, it is an inexact science. And I think having grown up in publicly traded companies for the majority of my career, you tend to get used to making short-term decisions to hit the right earnings. Okay. So instead of looking and saying, okay, it's going to be really rocky for the next six months, but then we expect to see things hit. Most of the time, it's like, what have you done for me lately? (laughs) So you're making what I, you know, in retrospect are probably not the best decisions, but the most important ones. So that way your shareholders and the markets are all in align with what you're doing. So your stock price stays healthy. And I think for me, as I was going through this, the most important thing I learned was to listen to my communications partner. 
You've got people in these organizations that do nothing but work with investors and help you not say the wrong thing, help you not get tripped up, help you not get those emotional triggers because you just survived the most brutal quarter of your life. Your teams are exhausted. You're tired. You're kind of over the whole thing. And yet somebody is sitting from their ivory tower and just nitpicking at one piece of your earnings that you didn't deliver right, on. Right, right, And you just want to kind of throat punch someone over the phone. So it really is about that level of pause, that level of maturity, and that level of just not letting them rattle you and getting ready for doing that in terms of lots of prep, lots of pre-gaming and those types of things. But I found the most valuable part of my lessons was because I'm a bit of a hothead and I'm a bit of a say what I think when I think it, which is not really good in those situations. And so extreme coaching is what I called it right, in terms of being able to navigate those situations successfully. I love that. And I think preparing differently for these earnings calls or any kind of situation where you know you're going to be questioned, interrogated, that makes perfect sense. So I know, Tammy, that both you and I come from non-corporate families. And so, as you said, grew up in the public company and the blue chip brand companies, you know, that are in your background. So what are these invisible rules or unwritten rules or things that some people seem to know? And those of us who are just straight shooters, we miss out until we figure it out. Would you talk to us about those? Laura, that is such a great question. There are so many people who get stuck because they play by these rules that you were talking about. And I didn't know they were rules. And I think that's why I naturally just never followed them. I grew up poor and, you know, blue collar family. And one of the biggest secrets that I kept for the longest time is I didn't have a college degree. And so I didn't get my degree until I was 40, yet I was in managing director roles and very senior leadership roles long before that. So I had to find my path to success much differently than your average person who goes to college and has their network and they're well-traveled. I was a country bumpkin from Northern New Jersey and just didn't have that opportunity. And I just started working right out of high school. So I didn't really understand the dynamics that I was stepping into. I was very ambitious. As I was growing up, my dad and mom had split up, which was not uncommon. However, he left town. Long story short, we went from like a giant house to being homeless for several months. And so I saw the struggle that my mom went through having no high school education. She got pregnant with me in high school and always had supported the family. And now she's got two kids to support and no place to live and no means of income. So seeing everything that my mom went through really impacted my level of ambition. I was like, okay, I do not want that to be me. And so I really took a hyper growth approach to my career. And it was very much a fear-based, you know, I don't want to be this versus I want to be that. So because of that, I played differently. And there's rules that people follow that I don't think serve them. And they're the things that hold you back in your career. They're the things that really start to limit your executive presence. And it causes you to play small. And I think one of the biggest rules that people believe, whether it's directly or indirectly, is that they've got to play by the system in terms of the corporate structure and the, okay, you've got to be in this role for two years before you can get promoted, or you shouldn't take on this project until you've got this 
letter after your name because you did this certification course. When I think the reality is that the more you start to really lean in and know what your passion, what your purpose, and really what lights you up every day in terms of the things that you can do that just give you all that energy. And the more you lean into that, regardless of organizational norms, hierarchy structures, and things like that, the faster you'll be successful and the bigger impact you'll make. I have found that in most cases during times of chaos, when people are hiding under their desks, hoping not to get fired, that's the best time to search. And this is your moment. And so many people are like, I'm going to play it safe. And that's not always the best move for you. Absolutely. That is so good. And I want to take a moment to speak to our audience about what you just said, because my audience and I, we know each other. And I know that some of you, yes, also came from families where you were the first one to go to college or English is your second language. And even though you speak way better than most Americans, you still worry about that. Any of these extraneous factors that where you don't fit what you think is the model, it's an asset, not a liability. But if you don't see it, then it's going to hold you back. And then just from an outsider looking at Tammy's case and having coached so many people that if she's thinking, oh my gosh, I don't have a college degree. I better not speak up because I might not sound educated. Then she is totally going to not move forward. She'll just be a worker bee overworked the rest of her life. Clearly she didn't. And that fear motivated you to be extra good and go the extra mile And don't worry if you think you're missing something, just lean into your other skills, right? Yep, exactly. So Laura, I would argue that we're going to take things, we're going to level up that idea a little bit more. And instead of not worrying about being different, I have found too late in my career, but I finally figured it out that you want to use your differences as a competitive advantage. Ooh, I love that. Tell and us I more. I really wish I learned that earlier, but here's a story where I learned it in a big way. And so I was working for a major bank and we had just bought Merrill Lynch. And so my job at the time, for some reason, I got moved into a compliance function, which was not my wheelhouse. I'm a front office salesperson. So I was like, I don't know how I ended up back here. I'm the reason compliance existed, right? And so I remember I was in this very senior executive's office and we were having a cage match over something I needed done in the EU that he didn't agree with. And he was much more senior than me. But I tried to hold my ground, pretend I was all fierce. I was terrified, but I was still trying to do my thing. And then the phone rang and he put it on speaker and it was a presidential nominee that called him the day after a debate, basically saying, hey, dude, how'd I do last night? And I was like, oh my God. What am I doing here? You know, so I listened to this conversation and just tried not to be completely just awestruck. So he hung up. We continued the cage match. I lost and I marched into my boss's office. At that time, I'm like, I'm surrounded by attorneys and very senior leaders on a global front and compliance experts. And I'm like, what am I doing here? And so I was pacing her office and I was ranting like a lunatic. And I was just, I'm like, get me out of here. I don't belong here. I'm out of my depth. All these things. So she let me go on. And then she finally left. She's like, you done? Yeah, okay, I'm done. And she's like, you are here because you're not part of the problem. You're here because you think differently. 
And you're here because you're not afraid to call BS when it needs to be said and hold people to tasks and to get things done in terms of like having those big, difficult conversations, even if I don't win. And so that was that moment for me where I'm like, they're making concessions because I'm not qualified, but I get some stuff done. So it's kind of a win. But I had never until that moment realized that the very things I was most embarrassed about and the very things that held me back for decades were the exact reasons why I was there. Exactly. That is so well put. So if you grew up in Singapore or this one man I interviewed, they didn't have heat and their winters were spent sleeping in the kitchen and using a space heater to keep everybody warm. And he looks back at that as fun. Or if you weren't a cheerleader or you were a cheerleader or you didn't go to college or you did, everybody has gifts that they bring to the table and that point of view. So if you feel like you're different from the people that you're working with, that is an asset, lean into it, but you've got to see it and to bring it, right? Don't you think you have to see that, like you had that light bulb moment and you're like, oh, I'm bringing a fresh point of view. And I think you also brought a lot of resilience to the table there. Absolutely. And one thing I tell my clients all the time is if you don't believe it, how are you going to get anybody else to? Right, exactly. My theory on this is that the people that have that issue were generally good students in school. And so school trained them that you turn in the results, the work that's asked for you in a high quality and you get that recognition as a result. And so they're still waiting for that outside validation because of that training over success at school for so many years at a young age. And it just doesn't work that way in the real world. But What are some real tactical ways that people can prepare better for the meetings that are large? You know, large meetings, it's really hard to get a word in, especially if you're among the more junior people. Do you think that everyone should try to speak at every meeting or what's your philosophy about shining in meetings? So Laura, I think it really depends on where you are in terms of that table. So I'll go with your scenario in terms of you're a more junior person that's there. I do not believe that you should speak at every meeting. I think you speak when you've got something to say. You speak when you have a question to ask. You speak when you've got more context to deliver. So if you are a more junior person at the meeting, typically if there's a big meeting, we're talking 10,000 foot level here. So your leader, your executive, or whoever's there is trying to get a point across, and they're using all of your hard work that you've done to help frame and inform that point of view, and you're there to help back that up. So that way, when an executive is talking about, okay, we need to go left instead of right, and somebody starts to challenge or question, which they should, you're there to help talk about how the sausage is made. And to help provide some context behind, here's how we came to the conclusion, or here's how the work is done, or this is what people think happens, but this is what's really going on. So you're there to provide the context that they need to be able to make an informed decision with confidence. I love that. Context for making, yeah, and it's kind of a filling in information gaps or giving them situational awareness. Because as you know, the higher up you go, the less contact you have with what's really going on. And so you're, you're kind of like a reality check, in a sense, don't you think? Yeah, you're the subject matter expert, yes. in the room, right? But what you need to do while you're there is instead of trying to speak just to 
hear yourself talk. That doesn't usually work. What you want to do is you want to arrive at the meeting early. And you want to start shaking hands and kissing babies with the leaders that are there. Okay, absolutely. You want to stay late and you want to make sure that you're also shaking hands and kissing babies (laughs) with the people that are there. You want to leverage your moment at working with people that are sometimes two to three levels above you in a hierarchy situation. And at the end of that meeting, say, you know, I really loved the question that you asked, or I liked your point of view. Can I grab 15 minutes? And do you mind if we dig into that a little bit more so I can broaden my knowledge? Of course, they're going to say yes. Whereas you would never have the opportunity to say, oh, hey, how you doing? Got 15 minutes for me? I don't even know who you are. So these are amazing opportunities to create and build what I call your power base. So don't miss the opportunity if you're one of the more junior people at these large meetings to really start to build those one-on-one connections with people who are much more senior than you are. That is awesome. I'm going, this is, this is, we deserve the sound effect, folks. Tammy just told you the secret to building your internal network with senior executives at the meeting because they're there anyway. (laughs) And she's right. Even an hour later, if you follow the email, they may not remember who you are. But in that moment, in that moment, they do know who you are. And they're also caught by surprise because they aren't expecting somebody to be so on top of things. And you're going to get that meeting for sure. And you're going to make such an amazing impression. So I will say to everyone listening, you are welcome. That was just... (laughs) Knowledge bomb, Knowledge right? Bond, so, right. Yeah. Life transformation there. There's two sides to the performance aspect. There's the actual performance improvement, and then there's the perception of performance. And sometimes it's blurry. Sometimes people get too wrapped up in one or the other. So tell us about you know, everybody wants to be promoted (laughs) most of the time. And sometimes it's a perception issue and sometimes it's an actual performance issue. So tell us how you would go to that situation. We do focus on promotions a lot, which I don't think is the actual right thing to think about. So when you're thinking about your career, we all want to grow. We all want to learn. We all want to expand our capabilities. And I think most importantly, we all want to be able to make a bigger impact. We want to know that the work that we do matters We all want to make an impact on our peers, on the business, for our customers. We want to know that the things that we do actually have meaning. And I think one of the most important things we need to remember is that growth is not linear. And it drives me nuts when you see people are like, I've been in my role for two years. I deserve a promotion. I'm like, no, you don't. Like, it's not, you know, it's not like who can last the longest. That is not what it's about. And so chasing the promotion, I think, is the wrong way to think about your career. I think you chase growth and the promotions will come. And actually, the promotions will come much faster. So here's a couple examples. Whenever I accomplish something, again, we talked about my hyper ambition because of how I grew up. I never celebrated. I was like, okay, what's the next thing? Like, great, got it. What's next? But I never said, I want to be this, or I want to have this, or I want this title, or I want this. What I would do is I would look at the skills I have. I would look at the skills I thought I was missing. And I'd be like, okay, so in my next role, here are the three attributes that I want to be able to step into. 
And then I would take the promotion I just got or the new responsibility that I just got and make sure that I got to practice those things. So for example, one of the biggest pivots I've made in terms of leveling up, I knew there were three things I was missing. You know, as a transformation expert, I never ran the business. I just changed it. So I needed to have some of that experience. Being based in the US, I did not have enough global experience. So I didn't manage a global team. And I also lacked the perspective. I was in financial services. So I didn't have a really good risk background because I was always front or middle office. And so I knew that I'm like, okay, so for me to move up, I need to have a global experience, run something so that I can eat my own dog food kind of thing. And when I make those changes and really build and adopt a risk profile. So that way that rounds out my leadership. And so as I did that, that's when I was able to make that leap into the C-suite. And so instead of saying, I want to be a band six, or I want to be a level five, or I want to be a VP, EVP, director, whatever, focus on growth and focus on closing the gaps that you need to get to the level that you want to be at as you're looking. The other thing I will challenge people on is you may be busy and you may do really good work, but does it matter? If you're not working on the projects that are directly connected to the primary goals of the organization, it doesn't matter how good you are because you're never going to be seen as that person who makes a business impact. And no matter whether you're in sales or audit or anything in between, every role has a direct connection Mm -hmm. to the corporation's biggest priorities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure that the work that you're doing is in direct alignment with that. Mm -hmm. Because when that happens, now you're taking a business perspective to all the things that you're doing and you're seen as making a bigger impact. So don't take on those doormat projects that no one wants Mm -hmm. because that's not going to serve you. But you do want to take on those projects that are a little bit scary Mm -hmm. and that have that opportunity to really improve business or eliminate risk or improve profitability in some way. Wow, that is so good. I'm going to give another shout out to that. Yeah, two bells today today because I'm just going to recap because I'm taking notes copiously. And you who are listening, unless you're driving, you should also be taking notes because there might be a test. No, just kidding. But yeah, if you chase growth, then the promotion will come. And that is just so freeing on so many levels because you're competing against yourself, not other people. And you have more agency, more control over the situation. Because if you get so good and they don't promote you, somebody else will at another company. And also that will obliterate your dumb, dumb imposter syndrome, which is another topic that just, I get all worked up on. So oh, yeah, we can do that yeah. forever too, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, but I like that you were able to self-identify your skills gap by looking around at the people that you wanted to emulate. And, you know, sometimes it's harder for people to see exactly what they're missing, but you could always ask your boss or a mentor or skip boss. And then folks listening, like being able to connect your work to the impact on the top strategic objectives of the company. And if you're not doing that, you need to change roles or get on another project. But I want to ask you something specific on this, Tammy, while I've got you here. Mm -hmm. So some people question if they should make lateral moves or even go backwards in order to get experience in that skills gap. So speak to that, please. Yeah. And I think this goes back to growth is not linear, right? And so I would never recommend taking a step back. There's no need for that. 
the lateral moves are very important because they brought in your capabilities. Right, right. Okay. I never really had an appreciation for the risk part of our organization. I just always looked at them as deal blockers. <laughs> and so I would do everything I could to just like follow the rules, but as loosely as possible. And until I got back there and I saw how they did it and why they did it right. and actually how smart those people were. And I was like, oh, yeah. hang on a second. But the thing <laughs> right. was different for me because once I understood how to lead risk teams, I had a very business-centric mindset. Right, right. And so instead of being doctored no, I would be, okay, let's find a different and a safer way to get to yes. And that made an impact because now all of a sudden the sales teams didn't look at us as sales prevention. They looked at us as a trusted partner to help save them from either getting put in jail or fired and still bringing in the revenue that they're accountable for. And so I think the more perspective you have in terms of the different groups within your organization or within your industry, then the more you can apply a 360 degree perspective and be much more effective to make that impact on that business. I love that. And I forget about the financial application of risk. A lot of people that I talk to, not a lot, but some, the way they talk about their job and the way they do their job, that they fear, they don't want to do anything risky. Like they just want to follow the path that's already been made. And I think that's not going to be the best career path for anyone. And I also think that in 2023, moving forward, there's more ambiguity, more ambiguity means more risk. So give us some tips on risk assessment in career moves. Laura, that is such a great question. The The way I encourage people to think about taking risk in their career is to acknowledge the seasonality that you have in your career. There are certain times in your life where you can swing for a home run. And there's other times in your life where you really need to hit base hits because you can't afford to take those really, really big risks. I know when I was earlier in my career, I was willing to play big. As I had my daughter, my husband was a stay-at-home dad. I was the only breadwinner. So I was still taking risks, but they were more base hit risks, not home run risks. And then as she got older and I became a little bit more financially secure, then I was able to play big again. And there's no problem with that, right? You can always move forward, which is a good direction to be in, but you don't always have to take the big ones. But when you can, and when you can take those big risks, here is what I would recommend. If you want to fast track your career, this is the way to do it. And you can do this in any part of any business. And it's taking on what I call a third rail project. Now I'm a New Yorker and the subway system has three rails. And if you touch the third rail, you die. <laughs> I made a career out of taking on these big projects that were mission critical. So these are not the doormat projects that we were just talking about. These are critical to the organization and no one is doing it. Either people have tried before and failed, or it's just too big and scary, or whatever the case may be. There are always those things that are so important to get done that no one will take the leadership on. Now, you were talked about uncertainty, and we are always in periods of uncertainty. It just always feels different because there's a different flavor to it. But in absence of leadership, people will follow. And so during uncertainty, while people are hiding under their desk, this is your opportunity to lead, but to lead through influence and to lead through collaboration and inspiration and really setting that vision and getting people rallied around things because 
if you take on one of those third rail projects and you get people around you to help because you're not going to be able to do it by yourself, now all of a sudden you're the front person willing to take the bullet if things go wrong, but everyone's behind you willing to work because it's in their best interest to try and get this thing fixed. And because it's so hard, you know, and it doesn't have to be massive scale. It could be even small scale depending on your role. Um, but because it's so hard, they don't expect success. So any small win is a big win. Oh. And another advanced move that I've done many times is I've reorganized myself out of a job. So when you're doing these, you're usually a reorg is involved. And so if you eliminate your job, because at the end of the day, it's usually probably the right thing to do based on the new structure, there's always going to be a bigger one waiting for you. Awesome. And that goes to chasing growth, you know, by taking this fast track third rail project. And so can you give us a quick, if you have a story about, especially if you have one where you were the one sure. proactively suggesting this, you know, <laughs> possibly suicidal project. And then if there's anything else you want to leave, you know, our audience, they're extremely smart, highly conscientious, high performers, extremely good looking too. So if you have something that I haven't asked you that you feel is that you would like to share, please tell us that too. Sure. Absolutely. And so there's been a several themes throughout my career in terms of really getting the elephant out of the room and proposing moving from a decentralized organization to a centralized organization. And that is a challenging sell because everyone has their own fiefdoms. Everyone has custom built things that they need. And I've done this in sales. I've done this in operations and I've done this in risk in terms of saying, okay, this is way too inefficient, way too expensive. We don't need to drive a Porsche to work every day to get this done. And those are very unpopular points of view from the stakeholders who have these people. Right, right. But it's a very popular point of view in terms of growing revenue, increasing margin, improving the stock price. So that's a third rail project that's worth holding on to because the people above you care so much about your success that they will block and tackle a lot of the naysayers who are trying to prevent you from doing that because it's what's best for the business. And that's also a really good opportunity to organize yourself out of a job and then pick up a global function. It's a one-two punch, but I think the important thing to do is to do this without making enemies and to do this in a collaborative way where everyone has a voice at the table because I believe that people do not fear change. What they fear is loss. Oh, love and that. And so if I were to tell you that you were going to win $70 million in the lottery tonight, that would not make you uncomfortable. And that is significant change, right? So it's not change that people are afraid of. It's loss. And so if you give the people that you're working with an opportunity to be at the table, to create the solution and to create their personal paths forward, you're going to find that you have far fewer people that are stiff arming you and trying to derail you and more people who are trying to hop onto the train mm -hmm. and create a new normal and a better outcome for themselves and their teams as well. So you're selling, you're finding benefits for your adversaries in a sense that you're finding, pointing out, connecting, showing them like, hey, you can benefit from this by participating, by shaping it. Am I right? Is that it? Absolutely. I mean, the fastest ways I've been able to win is by making sure that everyone that I needed to help me got a win first. Oh my gosh, Tammy, this is, I mean... 
you guys are getting an executive MBA in 45 minutes. So you're welcome. <laughs> so this is amazing. Thank you so much. How can people get in touch with you? I know they're going to want more of Tammy. Great. And I would love it. So thanks for that. So they can get in touch with us through our website at careerwinnercircle.com. Please hit me up on LinkedIn, Tammy Alvarez on LinkedIn. So you can definitely do that. And then at the end of this year, keep an eye out. My book will be coming out. It's called Escaping the Career Trap, Transforming Your Apathy into Ambition and Never Hate Mondays Again. So that will be out also at the end of this year. Awesome. Well, guys, once again, life-altering wisdom in this podcast. You're welcome. I will catch you all on the next episode. 